My name is Caleb Hunt. I'm the pastor at Grifton United Methodist Church, and welcome to the End of Words podcast, the home of our weekly sermons. If you are in the eastern North Carolina area and would like to come visit us, we have weekly worship services at 11 a.m. in our sanctuary on McRae Street, and we would love to have a chance to meet you in person. In the meantime, though, we pray that this message might help you in your own life and in your own context to refocus on the story of Jesus. Our first scripture reading this week comes from the first chapter of James, and it's from James chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Don't be deceived, my dear brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. Our second scripture reading comes from James chapter 5. We're reading James chapter 5, verses 13 through 18. Are any among you suffering? They should pray. Are any cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. Are any among you sick? They should call for the elders of the church and have them pray over them, anointing them with the oil in the name of the Lord. The prayer of faith will save the sick, and the Lord will raise them up, and anyone who has committed sins will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another, and pray for one another, so that you may be healed. The prayer of the righteous is powerful and effective. Elijah was a human being like us, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three years and six months it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and the heaven gave rain, and the earth yielded its harvest. This is the word of God for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. If you have listened to any of the sermons from Grifton in the past, then you will know that most of the time my sermon illustrations betray my uh, history as an English major and as a kid who grew up living book, loving books and reading. But this week, um, I'm going to be stepping outside of my comfort zone just a little bit, pretty far out of it, actually, to be honest, and give you all an illustration, a sort of controlling metaphor for this sermon from the world of the physical sciences. So we will see how this goes. I want to tell you all about open systems and closed systems. Open systems are systems that allow interaction between their internal elements, the stuff inside the system, and the external environment. In other words, the stuff outside of the system can affect what's inside of it, and the stuff inside of it could potentially leave or dissipate out of it. It's a permeable barrier. A closed system is totally isolated. Nothing affects the system from the outside. Nothing can come in. None of the components can go out. There's a sealed, impenetrable border. I, I like to make vegetable soup. I make it probably once a week, and I think that my pot of soup is a pretty good example of both an open system and a closed system. So go ahead and conjure up in your mind's eye an image of my vegetable soup sitting on a burner about medium heat. When the top of the pan is off, the pot of soup is an open system. Stuff is happening in the pot. The components of the system are interacting with one another. The water is boiling. It's tenderizing the carrots and the celery and stuff. But it's an open system. It interacts with and, and can be adjusted by the external environment. I, as the chef, I can add things from the outside, maybe some more white wine if the broth is getting low, maybe some more salt or pepper or something. And if I were to leave the top of the pot off long enough, all the water would leave. It would evaporate and be left with a scorched, mushy mess. It's an open system. But now imagine that I put the top onto the pot. It is now a closed system. Not, not perfectly, because the heating element of the stove provides heat from the outside and stuff, but pretty much the elements within the pot can now only interact with one another. I can't add more ingredients with the top on. Whatever seasonings that are in there, that's what's in there. When water evaporates into steam, what happens if the top is on? 
it condenses on the top and eventually falls back into the soup. The soup is not going to dry out because the moisture can't leave into the environment. It's a closed system. And this concept of open systems and closed systems, it can apply to a lot of other fields of knowledge as well. For instance, there can be closed or open economic systems based on whether or not more money and funds can come in or if there is a set amount. There are open and closed ecosystems, societies, energy grids, it goes on and on. But things get really interesting and a bit closer to my own neck of the woods when we apply these, this concept, what's called system theory, when we apply it to philosophy and theology. I want to reread for you one of the most important verses from our reading from James this week as we continue through the book together in this sermon series. This is James chapter 1, 16 and 17, our first reading from today. Do not be, bece- do not be deceived, brothers and sisters. Every good and perfect gift is from above coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights, who does not change like shifting shadows. One of the defining features of the Christian faith, the Christian way of understanding the world, is that we believe the universe we live in is an open system. Where does every good and perfect gift come from? It's from above, coming down from the Father. It's from outside. These gifts from the Father, they don't originate from here within this system. No, they're more like that extra pinch of salt that I sprinkle in the soup to brighten the flavor. And this is a controversial topic. It is not at all a universal opinion in today's day and age. There are plenty of people, we might even be reaching close to the majority of people, who believe that this is all that there is. The universe is a closed system. Material reality, that's it. However much energy our universe has, that's all it's ever going to have. However much matter we've got, that's as much as we have ever had and ever will have. Nothing comes in, nothing goes out. It's all just a matter of of material and energy recycling itself over and over and over again into various arrangements and patterns. And then here's the really important bit. Your behavior, the way that you live and the way that you act will change based on whether or not you think that you are dealing with an open system or a closed system. We're going to have a sort of silly example for this. I want you to imagine you are a bear living in a certain forest. Let's just go with a hundred acre woods. You're Winnie the Pooh, I guess. And you're getting ready to hibernate for the winter. And you know that there are only 100,000 acorns in the forest to store away for food. This is a closed system. That's all the food that there is. How is that going to affect your hibernation preparation? Well, you got to get down to business right away, right? You better be really disciplined up early every day, gathering acorns. You might be a bit anxious because it's It's a life and death situation, after all. And what happens if you see another bear trying to gather acorns? Well, I mean, that's a rival, isn't it? There's only so much to go around. You're probably not going to be too eager to help him. Might keep the location of the best oak trees to yourself. But now imagine that you have a great relationship with a local schoolboy, a Christopher Robin type, maybe. And you know that Christopher Robin, he's going to be bringing you peanut butter and jelly sandwiches each and every afternoon throughout the entire winter, as many as that you need that you could ask for. Now, it's an open system, right? Resources are coming in from outside. It's not just that 100,000 acorns. And your hibernation preparation is going gonna, is gonna to look different, right? Probably a lot more relaxed. You might not feel the pressure to get up at the first sign of dawn. There won't be that same life and death anxiety. You'd probably be more willing to point the other bears towards the best foraging spots. Our, the rest of our scripture readings from James today, it, they hit on a bunch of really punchy topics. The topics of prayer, of worship, of healing the sick, and the through line The thing that connects all of these things and forms James' particular approach to them is James chapter 1, verse 17. All good and perfect things are from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. The Christian universe is an open system. All the energy and hope that you feel like you've got inside of you, that's not all there is. God can fill you back up from the outside. 
even when you've depleted everything that you have. All of the resources, money, and the material goods that you think are available to you or your family or your church or your business, that's not all that there is because our God can provide. And what James is trying to do is James is trying to urge us to live and to act as if we actually believed this. Because it's one of those things that, you know, if you if you identify as a Christian, you'd probably say that you believed uh, if you were just asked. Of course, I believe that God acts in the world and that this isn't all that there is. But it's also sort of a crazy thing to believe, to believe that help and assistance and encouragement can actually come to us from outside of what we can see and touch. It can be even harder to live and act as if we believe this. And that's what James is trying to get us to do, to live as if we believe the things that we say we do. In this section from James chapter 5, 13 through 18, James run a, he runs through a bunch of different topics, suffering, happiness, sickness, sin. And he basically says, okay, y'all claim to believe that good things come down from above. This is an open system we're living in. Well, if you actually believe this, then this is how you would act when suffering happens to you or when you are happy. And we're just going to run through them one by one, starting with the first half of verse 13. Are any among you suffering? Well, then they should pray. I, I've been wondering more and more, if you don't believe in God or Jesus or, any, or anything outside of this physical realm, then, then what, do you, what do you do when something really tragic happens? What do you do and, and what do you say in times of significant loss and sadness? And this is a a genuine question on my part in a lot of ways. Um, it's something that I've been very struck by in the last year half or so as I've been serving Grifton United Methodist Church and I've had the chance to minister to some members of that community in times of terrible sadness and loss. Um, and, and those instances can be a very nerve-wracking situation for a young pastor because you often you don't know what to say or you're worried you're going to say the wrong thing. But each and every time I've thought to myself afterwards, it would be downright impossible to do that job if I thought the universe was a closed system and that this was all that there is? What do you say to someone that's just lost a loved one if you think that their husband or parent is, is just gone forever? It's just a matter being recycled. What, what, do, what do you say? I might not know ex- the exact right words, and I might stumble a bit, but at least I can declare that Christ has defeated death and that a glorious reunion awaits all of us. And so I want you to think for yourself, if you sometimes find that you suffer as those who have no hope, as the Apostle Paul would put it, suffering can, it can put blinders on us. It can limit our vision, turn us inwards on ourselves, and we can find ourselves concluding that our suffering is all that is really real, that it's all that there is and all there ever will be. And to that tendency, James gives us the simple instruction. The simple instruction, are you suffering? Well, we believe that good and perfect things come from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. So pray to him, ask him for relief, for encouragement, for peace. We're not promised those things instantaneously, but Jesus says that God is a good father who knows how to give good gifts to his children. So the only natural thing to do as a suffering Christian is to pray. And I, for one, am thank God that we have that response available to us. Are any of you cheerful? They should sing songs of praise. If you think that you live in a set of closed systems, a closed universe, a closed economy, a closed community, where there is a strictly limited amount of resources, money, food, and joy to go around, if that's what you believe, then on what sort of occasions might you be cheerful? Well, there are still lots of different kinds of occasions, right? But many of them, I do think, have to do with how well you've positioned yourself in your world, how much of the limited stuff that you've accumulated for yourself. Remember the bear in the hundred acre woods that doesn't have a Christopher Robin with only a limited amount of acorns available. When is he cheerful? Only once he's got a solid 70,000 of those squirreled away in his cave where no one else can get to them. At that point, he can relax, give himself a pat on the back. 
Maybe at that point, he even feels secure enough to donate a couple hundred acorns to a less fortunate neighbor. And in a similar way, I think that if we live in a closed system, then a large component of our happiness and satisfaction and our cheerfulness is going to depend on how many acorns we've stored away, on whether or not we've constructed a life for ourselves with plenty of security, some nice amenities, a good work-life balance, and a porch with a view. Because those things are enough to make anyone cheerful. And then what is the natural response to cheer of that sort? It's often self-congratulations, right? I did it. I pulled myself up from my bootstraps, I was smart, I saved, I worked hard, and now I get my rightfully earned cheer. But if every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of the Heavenly Lights, well, well, how might that change things? First of all, it might change what makes us cheerful. Hopefully we'll feel less anxious to get what's ours because we'll know that it's not only this life that matters and, we, and that we can trust God with the circumstances of our lives. And then when we do feel cheerful, even cheerful over something like a a nice trip or a meal, there's nothing inherently wrong with those things, how will we react? Not with a self-congratulatory pat on the back. Out of all the bears, I gathered the most acorns. No, we will, like James says, sing songs of praise, thanking the Father of the Heavenly Lights, who is the ultimate source of all good things and all blessings in this life. Verse 14, are any among you sick? This one is tough. This is the kind of verse that some people have a very difficult relationship with because someone that they loved was very sick and they turned to this passage in James. They read verse 15 that says the prayer of the faithful will heal the sick and then they prayed as hard as they possibly could and their loved one died anyway. As hopeful as these verses sound, when we read them, they can be very hard to read and to hear as well. To figure out what's going on here, let's first put this passage in its ancient context a bit. What was the normal response to severe illness in the ancient world during Jesus' time? Well, we have to remember that there was no medicine, essentially no good treatment for severe illness, and the vast majority of people who fell very ill died. And so often the sick were actually expelled from the community. And this makes some sense, right? Even if they didn't know about germs, they had at least discovered that hanging around a sick person sometimes made you sick as well. And it also makes sense if if you think you're living in a closed system, if you think that healing depends solely on the vitality of the sick person's body and whatever medicine, in this case herbs and leeches, Um, were available to you. The severely sick person in this case is a lost cause, can only drag people down. And so the natural response is to send them away. But that is not how the Christian community handled the sick, which is a bit of a historical anomaly and mystery, by the way. James says, are any of you sick? Don't send them away. In fact, gather the community around them. Call the elders, the guys in charge, anoint them with oil and pray over them. This would have been a very strange thing to read in the ancient world. Wait, when someone is very ill, you want the most important people in your community, the elders, to come and touch them and rub oil on them? That just doesn't make sense. And it, and it doesn't. It doesn't make sense unless every good and perfect thing is from above. Christians believe, first of all, that the God of Jesus Christ, who was constantly hanging out with lepers, would never want them to send the sick away as outcasts. They further believe that God was willing and able to heal, that the prayer of faith would heal the sick, and that God would raise them up. Now, I want to be very clear. I do not think, personally, that this verse is saying that a truly faithful prayer will always result in healing, such that any prayer that does not result in healing was because of a lack of faith or a lack of belief. And I don't believe that for for two reasons. First of all, because God's plans are not ultimately contingent on our own actions. We cannot force God to change plans based on something that we do, even something like a perfectly faithful prayer, whatever that might mean. God's plans are above ours, and he doesn't always change them based on even our most passionate and fervent desires. 
The second reason I don't believe that is because of the specific words that James chooses. I want to read it again very carefully. The prayer of faith will save the sick. God will raise them up. Those terms, save and raise up, those are terms for resurrection. The first one is the Greek word sozo, uh, and it means to save. Uh, it's used all over in the gospel in that manner. The second one is uh, agero, and it's the same word that is used when the angel says to Mary Magdalene at the tomb, uh, he has been, he has risen, he, he has been raised up, go and tell his disciples. They're perfectly good words in the Greek for healing and bodily wellness. James doesn't use those in this verse. He chooses resurrection language. And I think he does that because he wants to communicate two things simultaneously. First of all, James clearly believed in the power of prayer to make the sick well, bodily well, to heal. He uses the Greek word for heal in the next sentence. But I think he also wants to communicate that the ultimate basis of our hope is resurrection, the fact that God saves and the fact that God raises up. Both of those things can be true. We can simultaneously believe that the prayer of the faithful is affectious, is efficacious, and can bring healing. And we can believe that our ultimate hope is not based on the healing of a particular bodily illness, but on the general resurrection promised to us by Jesus Christ. And so what do we do as Christians when someone is sick? We gather the community, we pray for healing, and we rejoice in the ultimate promise that one day God will raise us all up. Friends, everything changes when you decide to believe that we live in an open rather than a closed system. When you believe that good and perfect things are from above, coming down from the Father of the heavenly lights. God is always able to intervene to give you more strength, more hope, more love. This is freeing. It frees you to give with open hands, to trust God with your future, and to interact with other people, not as rivals in this game of life, but as image bearers of God. And it's empowering. It's a powerful thing to be able to go before the giver of good gifts with the desires and burdens of your heart. James ends our scripture reading from today by reminding us of the story of Elijah, whose prayers held back the rain for three days and three nights. And James points out that Elijah was human just like we are. And James, in his particular unique style, leaves us with that question. How would we live if we believed that that's what God was capable of through the Holy Spirit and through the power of faithful prayer? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, Amen. Amen.